many of you have seen the movie Big? Raise your hand. Okay. A few of you. Good. Good. Well, for those of you who haven't seen it, it came out in the uh, late 80s, and it's about a 12-year-old boy who wants to be grown up. Now, there's nothing uncommon about that, right? That's the way most kids feel at, at, at 12 years old. They, they want to be old. Well, in uh, this movie, this boy gets his wish. One day he wakes up and he finds that he is the 30-year-old version of himself, a 12-year-old boy trapped in a 30-year-old body. And for those of you all who are familiar with the movie, you know that this 30-year-old is played by Tom Hanks. And uh, here's, a, here's a clip from Big. Pretty funny clip, isn't it? Now, it's important to note that at the beginning of the movie, when the boy is acting in this way, we don't think much about it, right? We don't think much about that because he's a 12-year-old kid. You don't expect a, a 12-year-old to act any different than 12 years old. But when Tom Hanks acts in that way, now that's different. One thing I love about the movie is to watch how all the adults respond to Hanks's character. I mean, at first they look at him as strange, and then some of them are a bit embarrassed by his behavior. And let's be honest, if we witnessed an adult acting in this way, we would probably have a similar response, wouldn't we? Now, once again, a 12-year-old behaving in this way, no big deal. But, but a 30-year-old behaving like a 12-year-old, that's different. It's upsetting. It's abnormal. It's strange. You might even, if you knew the person or if you were a bold person, you might even speak out and say, hey, you need to grow up. You need to act your age. Well, in our passage for this morning, Paul gives a similar message to the Christians at Corinth. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're continuing our sermon series this morning through 1 Corinthians entitled Paul's Message to a Messy Church. And this morning we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. As we have discussed already, though many of the Corinthian believers had been saved for some time, for five years or, or more, when, when Paul wrote this book, many of them had hardly matured as believers. Many of them were still acting like babies spiritually, so, so Paul writes in the first part of chapter 3 to address this issue and to call for the Christians at Corinth to act their age spiritually. Here's the first thing he tells them, number one. First he says this, though you should be more mature, you are acting like infants. Wow, that'd be hard to hear, wouldn't it? Look at verse 1, 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says, brother, but, uh, sorry, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now these words here that Paul speaks, that Paul gives here, would have been news for some in the church at Corinth, as we've said already. Though Paul is, is clear that, that they are immature spiritually, they sure didn't view themselves this way. In their minds, they had arrived 
spiritually. Many were convinced that they were more mature than most. Some of them thought they had the, the inside track to the deeper things of God. And they were even looking down on others, snubbing their nose at others in the faith. And Paul, even at times, he has to defend himself and his own calling, which makes you think that some of them even thought of themselves as more mature than the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine that? Well, in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul takes the wind out of their sails by telling them that though they saw themselves as more mature, though they thought, saw themselves as established and complete spiritually, they were in fact immature and childish. Our oldest daughter, Ava Grace, is at the age where she thinks she is older than she really is. And uh, if you were to ask her, she would tell you, I am not a baby. I'm a big girl. And uh, the other day I made some uh, pizza for the girls and it was pretty messy, so I put bibs on both of them. Well, that was the wrong thing to do for Ava. She was not happy about it and immediately took it off, handed it back to me and said, uh, I don't need this, I'm big, you know. To which I said, well, I'm sorry, sorry, you know. And, and uh, so she's reminding me of that all the time, that she's a big girl. This is the way she thinks of herself. She thinks she's got it all together. But though... She is maturing, and though at times I give her more responsibility because she is maturing, there are times when Ava acts no older than Edie, our one-year-old. And when she does that, I treat her like I would treat Edie. Paul is saying something similar here in chapter 3. He is telling the believers at Corinth, though you are believers, notice he calls them brothers, though that's the case, he says, I cannot speak to you like that because of the way you are acting. Once again, parents, you ever say this to your teenagers or even your, your college kids? They want to be treated like an, an adult, so you come back and you say this to them. You ever said this? You ever say, if that's the case, if you want me to speak to you like an adult, then what? Act like it. That's exactly what, what Paul is saying here. To the Corinthians, because you are ignorant spiritually and because you are acting like an unbeliever, that's how I'm going to address you. Now, I want to warn you here. There have been some who have taken this verse of Scripture and have argued that the Christians at Corinth are proof that Christians can live however they want to live. They view salvation as being provided by Christ as just a, a, a get-out-of-hell-free card and nothing else. They think, I can, I can pray this prayer, and I can be saved from hell, but then I can live however I want to live. I can live like the Corinthians here. I'm sorry to say, if that's your mentality, what you probably have is a false sense of security, not salvation according to the scriptures. Though the Corinthians were struggling, they had a promising beginning, as Paul explains in chapter 1. And though they had some major setbacks along the way, Paul never says it's okay for them to stay where they are spiritually. In fact, he makes the point that it's unnatural and it's abnormal for a follower of Christ to not, in fact, follow Christ and mature. Just like you would not be okay, parents, 
with your children acting like an infant for the rest of his or her life, God is not okay with us remaining underdeveloped spiritually. And I would also say this, that if you, if you have a person who is, who is living for himself or herself and habitually sins and is unrepentant and there is no fruit in their life and they have no desire for the things of God, nor do they desire to follow God, I don't care what prayer they've prayed or what they think they have, what they have is not salvation, if that's their mentality. The Corinthians are not in this boat. For the most part. Some of them might have been, but for the most part they're not. Though they are mature, immature, like we've said, they had a promising beginning, but they had suffered some setbacks along the way, which is why Paul calls them babies. Now, what was it about the Corinthians that led Paul to this conclusion? Well, I know it's been a while since we've been in the text, so let me give you a little review on what we've talked about. Remember, there were a lot of things, right? Paul has, has discussed several things already in the first two chapters of this book. He addressed the fact that they were divided. They were a church filled with divisions and schisms, and they were putting way too much stock into human wisdom, and they were moving beyond the message of the cross. And he is going to revisit a few of these things here this morning in this passage so that those in the church at Corinth can see where they need to be spiritually. Once again, like I shared with you when introducing this book, one of the major purposes of the Apostle Paul in, in writing this book is he wants to show the Corinthian believers where they have gotten off track spiritually so that they would see that and be encouraged to get back on track and get busy and living for God. And once again, this is my prayer for our church as well. It is. Believers, I urge you this morning, right now and throughout the sermon, to, to do an evaluation of your life. Look at your life this morning and ask yourself this simple question, am I acting my age spiritually? It's a good question to ask yourself. Maybe you've just been a Christian for a couple of years or maybe you've been following Christ for 10 years or more. Are you acting your age spiritually or do you need to grow up? Some of you may be thinking, well, I've been following Christ for a while now, but, but I don't know if, where I, if I'm uh, where I need to be spiritually if I'm, if I'm growing the way that I'm supposed to. When Leslie and I, when our girls were little and we would take them to the, the, the pediatrician, they would at times give us a checklist of certain things that our, our, our girls were to be doing at a, at a certain age. At this month, they're to be doing this. At this month, they're to be doing that. And, and we kind of, we went by that religiously. Well, unfortunately, I don't have a chart or a checklist for you in your Christian development. I like after one year, you need to have read the New Testament all the way through, and at year 20, you need to have Leviticus committed to memory. You know? I don't have that kind of checklist this morning, but you can ask yourself this. This is a good question to ask yourself. Has there been a noticeable change in my life since the moment I first believed? Have my thoughts changed? My actions changed. My desires changed. 
though none of us are perfect and though we all need to mature, ask yourself this morning if there have been areas in your life where you have made great strides toward maturity. Have you had any major personal victories in your life? How about this one as we start the new year? Are you more mature right now than you were this time last year? You should be. You should. Don't just assume you are where you need to be spiritually, but do a deep and thorough examination of your life to see where you need to grow and mature. Here's the second thing Paul tells the Corinthians. Though you should be on solid foods, you still require bottle feeding. Some more tough words from Paul, and he's going to get tougher this chapter and in the chapters to come on the Corinthians, but it's done in love. Paul says in verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. Now, there are a few metaphors that Paul uses here in this verse of Scripture. He talks about feeding, and he uses the word milk, and he also talks about solid food or meat. First, he says, I fed you with milk. Now, notice the fed here is in the past tense. Paul is speaking of the 18 months when he was with them that's recorded in the book of Acts, when he first started the church in Corinth. That's what he's referring to here. And, and the word fed there is a metaphor for teaching. Now, what is Paul feeding them? What is he teaching them? What was he spending the first 18 months of his ministry with them doing? He, was, he said, I fed you with milk. Milk is another metaphor, and it refers to the simple message of the gospel. When Paul was first with them, before starting the church and, and shortly after, he was just teaching the, the people of Corinth the simple message of the gospel so that they would turn from their sins, repent of their sins, and believe and be saved. But notice he uses another metaphor here. He says, I did not feed you solid food, for you are not ready for it. And he says, you're still not ready for it. Now, if milk refers to the simple message of the gospel, that we're sinful and then God, God sent Jesus to be for us what we could not be for ourselves, perfect inside and out, and, and that he, he died for us, and, and so that if we trust in him alone for salvation, we can be forgiven of sin and brought back into a right relationship with God. If that's the milk, if that's the simple message of the gospel, what is solid food a metaphor for? Something beyond the cross? Some deeper, hidden message from God? Some other doctrine other than the cross? No. Both refer to the gospel. And you're probably thinking, well, where did you get that? Well, remember I told you earlier in the book that the Corinthians felt as if they had the gospel all figured out. And they wanted to move beyond that message to a different message altogether. And you remember how Paul responds to them. Paul responds by telling them the message of the cross is not a message you move beyond. But it's a message that your life and your ministry should be centered upon. Remember, he told them earlier in this book, 
that he decided to know nothing among them but Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, Paul's entire life, his message and his ministry was centered upon the cross. There was not another message for Paul. Now, the difference between the two messages, the milk and the solid foods, was not a difference in doctrine, but a difference in degree and depth, all right? When Paul was with them initially, he gave them the simple message of the gospel that's needed for salvation, the simple message to get them started in their spiritual life. But his hope was that by now, five years later, when he's writing this book to them, his hope was that they would have moved beyond milk to solid foods, meaning they would have a a better understanding of the gospel. The gospel, with all its workings, all its details and all its particulars. The Corinthians should have been there by the time Paul wrote this letter. But unfortunately, they had not moved beyond the gospel light, the gospel from a bottle, according to Paul. Now, once again, this would have been news for the Corinthians because they felt as if they had a good grasp on the cross. And they thought it was time to to move beyond that message, on to new and better things. Paul says, you don't need to go anywhere. Because the very fact that you are practicing all these ungodly practices, the fact that there is just division and discord among you, and the fact that you are immature is proof positive that you don't know squat about the cross. Paul says, you don't need to go anywhere. Remember a while back I explained to you that the reason Paul did not move beyond the cross but rather centered upon it is because it's the one message that we need to have a handle on not only to be saved but to grow in godliness and to become all that God wants us to be. I heard a pastor say this recently and listen to this real close. This is really good. He said, all growth in grace, all meaningful movement, in the Christian life is not movement past the cross, but further into the cross. It's a great quote. It's right on. That's what Paul is saying here. I mean, think about it. I've said this before, but it needs to be said again. Every single struggle we have in life, behind every difficulty in your life, you can find a fundamental failure to understand the cross in some way. It's true. For example, The reason the Corinthians were putting so much stock into earthly wisdom was because they didn't have a good understanding of the cross. Because if they did, they would understand that the cross is as counter to the message of the world as it can be. That message is counter to the world. And if they understood that, they would not be embracing worldly philosophies and and letting them be taught in the church. The reason they were struggling with pride and were disunified is because they misunderstood the gospel. How so? Well, one of the truths that the gospel drives home for us is that we're sinners who deserve God's wrath. We are seriously flawed by sin. Therefore, what is there to be proud of by ourselves? They had a good grasp on the gospel. They would understand that that the only thing significant about them is that they have been saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. Therefore, any boasting that needed to be done, any bragging 
should have been done uh, directed toward God and the work that he had done in and through them. Also, if they understood the message of the cross, they would know that the gospel is meant to bring us together, differences and all, rather than bring division and discord. Paul makes the point here that the immaturity that is seen in this church is proof positive that they don't understand close to what they thought they understood about the gospel. Now, once again, if they would have just been saved and not five years in, they, this would not have been as big of a problem because they would have some time to develop. But they were, they were five years in. Our girls, mostly for the, for the first year of their life, they had milk, mostly milk, nothing else. But then they moved on to, to Gerber mush, which is hard to watch. And uh, then, they, then they moved on to solid foods. There was a natural progression there, and there should be with us spiritually. There should be with you spiritually, a natural progression. Now, you may be wondering, when you hear this about the Corinthians, how could this be with the Corinthians? I mean, they had Paul and Apollos. I mean, these two guys were powerhouses in the faith in the first century. How could this be? Well, get this. This is very important. Just sitting under good preaching, though it's, though it's essential and though it's very important, it's not enough. It's a great start, but it's not enough. When you come in, when you enter through those doors week in and week out, you need to come prepared to draw near to God as the word is being preached with, with, like we've said before, open hearts and closed mouths. There are some people who come here each and every week and other churches each and every week, but they're not really here. Or they're not really there, are they? You know what I mean? They couldn't tell you what's being said right after it's being said because they're not drawing near with open hearts and closed mouths. You also need to come ready to receive and apply the word that's being preached. You ever hear a great sermon and you leave thinking, man, that is a great sermon. I mean, that speaks right directly to me and where I am in life. And a few days later, you can't remember one point from the sermon. You ever have that happen? We all do every now and again, don't we? But if it happens continually over and over again, it may be because you're being a forgetful hearer. Like James talks about in James chapter 1. You look in the mirror and you see the changes that need to be made, but then you leave and you completely forget what you just saw because you don't receive it and apply it to your life. We have to come here each and every week ready to receive and apply what's being preached, but it goes even further than that. You need to also be spending time in personal Bible study each and every week, and you need to be applying what you read and study. Listen, I guarantee you, the difference between you and the person sitting across from you, the more spiritually mature person sitting across from you, is the work that is being put in Monday through Saturday. It's true. The reason we send a spiritual growth guide home with you each and every week is because we want to encourage 
personal Bible study because we know what takes place when you leave this place is what's truly going to make a significant difference in your life spiritually. Once again, I want you to examine your life this morning. How many years in are you? Two? Five? Ten or more? When you read a text of Scripture or you hear the Word of God being preached, are you still just completely lost? Not knowing what's going on and what's being said? Do you know much more about the Bible now than when you first came to Christ? Do you have a difficult time remembering what's being preached Sunday after Sunday? Do you ever go to a Bible study and you, you feel as if everyone in the room knows more than you do about the Word of God? If so, it's time to move from the bottle to solid foods. It's time for you to wake up on Sunday mornings. It's time for you to open your ears, open your hearts to the Word of God that's being preached. And it's time for you to take what's being preached Sunday after Sunday and receive it and apply it to your life. And it's time for you to put in the work Monday through Saturday, reading, studying, and meditating upon the Word of God. It's also time for you to take what you read and you study and you meditate upon and, and, and apply it to your life so that you can grow in godliness and become more of who God has called you to be. The third thing Paul tells the Corinthians is this. Excuse me, it's a little lengthy here. Though you should be more selfless and considerate of others, you are in fact selfish and only care about yourself. Hard words. But once again, he gives them in love. He says, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul says another indication that Christians in Corinth are immature spiritually is because of the fact that there is jealousy and strife among them that's causing disunity. You know who some of the most selfish people in the world are? children. I know that sounds mean, but it's true, right? Any of you have any at home? Selfish, isn't he or she? They are. When they want something, they want it right now, and they don't care what you're in the middle of. I had a person over to my house recently that I was praying with, and my girls come in, and they just interrupt right in the middle of prayer. Because they want a toy or something. They wanted me to figure out something. That's, that's selfish, right? You want a, a good illustration of selfishness? Just go to any of our local daycares. One word you'll hear more than any other is mine. There's always a little boy in the corner with a ball, and there's eight kids on top of him. That's Paul's point. It's, it's infantile to be so totally self-absorbed. It's infantile to have the mentality, I want what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. And Paul is explaining to the Christians at Corinth, this is not to be the attitude of you guys who have been living for Christ for five years. But unfortunately, that is the attitude of this church. So Paul says, once again, you're behaving like infants. You're behaving like unbelievers. 
Now, some outside the faith would, would take issue with this. But let's be honest, that is the mentality of the world. It is. The mottos you hear in our world today are, put yourself first, look out for number one, follow your heart, do what you think is right, do what's right for you, be your own boss. And those slogans and that mentality is the reason why there's so much disunity and division in our relationships, whether it be with our spouse or our children or our friends or our coworkers or boss at work. Now, once again, the Christians at Corinth would have been surprised to hear that their disunity was a sign of their immaturity. Many of them felt as if they were more mature than others, which is why they associated with one group opposed to, as opposed to another. They're like, we're in the Paul group. Well, who cares? We're in the Apollos group. There was even a Peter group, and then there was a Jesus group. They're like, we got you all beat. Trump card, you know? We're in the Jesus group. But remember, Paul says, all of you are in the wrong because none of you have the spirit of Christ. For if you did, you would be unified and not divided. They're all in the wrong. Listen, you may think that you're mature in your faith because you've read every best-selling book, Life Ways, put on the shelf. You may think you've arrived because you know what you believe and why you believe it, and you can support it with Scripture. But listen, if you view yourself as being on, a, on just another plane spiritually, and you look down on others, and if the words you speak constantly anger and divide God's people, and if you are selfish and self-absorbed instead of being selfless and considerate of others, you need to come to the realization that though you claim to be a mature follower of Christ, that kind of attitude is as counter to Christ as you can be. It is. It's important for us to realize that mature believers of Christ, mature followers of Christ are, are those who are, are selfless and they're unified, not divided. Mature Christians don't start little groups that disagree with one another. They don't polarize around individuals and take strong stances on petty issues and divide the church over it. Instead, they're more concerned with others and what the Lord wants rather than what they want. And what the Lord wants is unity. Number four. Fourth and final thing Paul tells the Corinthians is this. Though you should be looking to God for guidance and direction, you choose to follow men. Look at verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Another characteristic of kids, since we're talking about kids a lot this morning, uh, that, that they have is uh, many of the uh, kids have a tendency to put any and every person in a position of authority up on a pedestal. Most of them do. I remember when I was young, during the summer months, I, I lived at the local swimming pool. And I remember looking up to those lifeguards and, and, and that worked there, and I thought of them as like Olympic athletes, you know? I thought there's nothing that can happen to me in this pool because look at that lifeguard over there. They're the experts, they're the professionals. Well, as I got older, 
came to realize that they were just teenagers. Now, there's nothing wrong with not saying teenagers are not qualified, not saying they cannot do a good job, teenagers, as, as lifeguards. I know they can. But the, but the truth of the matter is, I did think of them higher than what I should have. And the same is true for the Christians at Corinth. They showed their immaturity by, by thinking higher of church leaders than they should have. Like we discussed in chapter 1, though Christian leaders, faithful, godly Christian leaders, should be looked to, we're told in Hebrews, to imitate their faith, godly men should not be elevated in an ungodly way. That's what was taking place at Corinth. Once again, there was one, a group of people saying, I follow Paul, while others were saying, we're in the Apollos group. And Paul says, are you not merely being human? What he means here, once again, is you guys are just behaving like the world. You're behaving like unbelievers, like spiritual infants. When we as a church split over personalities, when we divide because of hero worship, that is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Look at verses 5 through 8. What then is Paulos? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. In this passage, Paul shows what he and Apollos and all other Christian leaders truly are. He says, we are servants. Remember in chapter 1, verse 13, when Paul asked the question, when they're... When they're polarizing around these individuals and they're, they're flocking to these different groups. Remember what Paul said? He said, did I die for you? Were any of you baptized in my name? And what he's getting at here is this. What did I ever do for you? And here he answers the question. Nothing. We're just servants. You know what that word servant is the equivalent of? A table waiter. A bus boy. That's what ministers are. That's what I am, a table waiter, a spiritual busboy. You ever been to a, to a square in, in, a, in a big city and you see some statues erected? You know, it may be a, a president or, or a general. You ever seen a busboy? You ever seen a statue of a busboy? Nobody makes statues out of busboys. Paul says, when you exalt me, when you exalt Peter, when you exalt Apollos, that's what you're doing. You're worshiping busboys. He says, we're merely servants through whom you believed. In other words, we're just the go-betweens. That's all we are. In verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. In other words, Paul is saying, don't honor me. Don't honor Apollos. Honor God. And he even goes on to say... He who plants and he who waters are nothing. He says, we're nothing but busboys. It's God who brings the growth. In other words, God is the one to be praised for the fruits that result from ministry. And he says also in verse 8 that he and Apollos are not at odds with one another. He says, we're in agreement with one another. 
Apollos and I, we're fellow laborers, and that's what you should be as well. And he goes on to say, ministers do not need the praise of men. He says, we don't need you to elevate and honor us. He says, we get our honor from God, who rewards rightly. Not because of our success, because like we said, who brings success? God does. We don't deserve the, the, the praise for success. He says God doesn't award us because of our success and honor us because of our success. He rewards us because of our faithfulness, because of our labor. And in verse 9, Paul says this, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Once again, Paul is simply saying, God is at work. He's at work in our lives. He's at work in your lives. You belong to God. He is the one who brings the growth. Therefore, get your attention off of us and direct your attention toward God. And believers, hear me when I say this. When we do that, if we would do that, if we would be the type of people and the type of church that would praise him, for the fruit from this ministry and direct our focus toward him and our, and our worship toward him. We'll be more of the church that God has called us to be and we will be guarded against division and disunity and discord. Let me end with this. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been doing a deep and thorough examination of your life and you realize a light bulb has come on. You realize that you are still a babe in Christ. You're still being bottle-fed, and it shows in your limited understanding of the things of God and in the way you live your life. I urge you this morning, there's no better time than right now to make the commitment to begin to make strides to move from the bottle toward solid foods, to move from gospel light into the meat of the gospel. Now, let me tell you this. Spiritual growth, let me warn you about this. Spiritual growth, it, it takes work. It does. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, that we are to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. This verse tells us godliness does not just come automatically. It takes work. We are to be working out what the Spirit of God is working within us. But it's necessary for you to put in that work to be more of who God has called you to be. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't even taken the first step. But you want to know more. You want to know how to mature and be more of who God has called you to be. Well, there's a story in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus comes to the Lord Jesus and he's got some, some questions for him during his earthly ministry. And he was, he was asking questions about the deeper things of God. And you remember how Jesus responds? Jesus informed him, for, for one to mature in their knowledge of God, for one to grow in their faith, they must first be born again spiritually. And that makes sense, right? First, before we can mature, we have to be born, Right? should make sense and that's what Jesus is telling him in a spiritual sense for you to grow and mature and become more of who God has called you to be you must first be born again scripture tells us how we can be born again 
be made right with God. Scripture tells us that we've all sinned against God, but God loved us so much that he sent Christ to be for us what we could not be for ourselves, perfect inside and out. And Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live, and he died in our place as our substitute and perfect sacrifice. And if this morning, if you would trust in him alone for your salvation, turn from your sin, make him the Lord of your life, you can be born again and be on the way, on your way to living the life that God has called you to live. If you've never made that decision, I pray that you would this morning. Would you pray with me?